a lot is uh, possible, uh, also an application of AI, but it's always the question uh, whether we are allowed to apply it, whether we want to apply it. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI, Minds, Machine and the Gradient Descent. Thanks for tuning in to our geeky podcast to discuss the fascinating field of AI and machine learning, corporate craziness, passion for technology and the role of humans. We are Uli and Avery, your hosts for this episode, and we cannot wait to tell you more about this very special episode. It is Not special. Very special, yeah. yeah Not yeah. only do we have one genius mind on the show, but even two. So you can expect double insights and, of course, double fun. But before we start off, let me quickly say one or two sentences about the main characters of the episode. Let me begin with none other than Michael Weinhold, Smart Infrastructure's Head of Technology and Innovation at Siemens. His goal is to create environments that care. And he firmly believes that we can only effectively meet the challenges both posed by climate change and rapidly shifting energy systems if we work together. Therefore, we need to use our resources more sustainably and create an interconnected ecosystem that encompasses energy, buildings and industry in order to preserve our planet for the next generations and to enable a better future for our society. Boom, I, I would already need now five minutes to just parse it cognitively, right? All these aspects were pilling there. But let me introduce you additionally now, even Rolf Appel. He's the principal key expert for grid digitalization within small infrastructure technology and innovation team. Rolf has gained outstanding experiences by contributing in numerous committees and teams. For instance, he brought his expertise in the course of the European Union Smart Grid Standardization Mandate. That's a long one. Or he's currently member of several transmission and distribution working groups. In his core, Rolf really tries to understand what drives the user and what lies behind customer requirements. Moreover, he's eager to explain the exciting world behind the power outlet in generally understandable way. What a bold introduction. So let's, let's jump right into it. Here we go. So, Michael and Ralf, it's fantastic to have you on the show. Regarding the hot weather outside, I guess we wouldn't really need a warm-up. But anyways, um, despite that, let's start with an easy one. So, um, we have identified over the last episode that there is a correlation between passion for technology and a strong passion for music. Are we right? Uh, is there any instruments you're playing or a song that's currently on your hot rotation? Unfortunately, I'm not very musical. With me, it's enough at most to air guitar and surely also only moderate. Regarding my music flavor, I must admit that is a little bit old school. I prefer rock and pop music from the 70s and the 80s. So there is no single song on hot rotation. It's Nuremberg's local radio station, Radio Gong, which usually tuned in my radio. There you go. Let's have a little group Hi, here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hello, hello, everybody. Here's Michael. Um, so uh, yeah, here are some similarities between Rolf and myself. So unfortunately, I also cannot play an instrument. Uh, something went wrong uh, in my childhood, uh, but uh, maybe in my next life. But 
I do like uh, music very very much. Um, I like rock music a lot, and when it comes to rock music, it's uh, uh, I think all generations like it. If you look at the last uh, Rolling Stones concert in Munich, <laughs> there were I don't know from A to eighty <laughs> people uh, present over there. Well, yeah, I, I like the Stones, I like Queen, uh, I like Meatloaf, uh, but I also like classical uh, music. Just week last weekend, I went to a concert of the Nuremberg Symphony Orchestra. All right. So cool. So Michael, you're almost 30 years with the, with the folks here, with the Siemens family, actually, right? Yeah. That's impressive. Is that is that in the longest standing? And potentially not. There may be even colleagues out there. But you have been um, the CTO of the power transmission distribution, CTO for energy sector, CTO for Siemens energy management. Oh, man, gosh. And today you are steering the smart infrastructure technology and innovation. So... What's that's I guess an entire episode about your history, what you've seen. You may may have seen, you know, everything. What what was what was the energy at the young younger Michael, right? What was the energy back in the days, thirty years ago, and what was the aspiration? Yeah, uh, that's a good good point. So yeah, I'm more than half of my life I've uh, I'm now with Siemens, so quite a long time, and a lot of things happened. Um, and not because of me, but because of all these dramatic innovations and changes uh, in our infrastructure. So when I studied electrical engineering uh, in the 80s, I studied it in, Europe, in uh, Germany and the United States. It was a very linear uh, energy system. So you had big power plants close to the loads and uh, very passive uh, end consumers. And uh, this is not in a way turned upside down. So now we are talking about decentralized distributed energy. We have more and more loads uh, turning into the electricity sector because of this for sustainability reasons, but also mm -hmm. because of major breakthroughs uh, in innovation. So, uh, and I think we'll talk about that uh, in a couple of minutes. Maybe what, what, what keeps me moving and driving and what's my passion, it's electrical engineering, to put it bluntly. As a boy, I was thinking around uh, at my own lab at home I had my first computer when they came out and uh, programmed a little bit with it. And, and then I studied it. So, um, yeah, and we will dig deeper into technology later. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that. And Rolf, what is it that brought you to the field of grid digitalization? What makes you so passionate about this area? Well, we must look far into the past. Uh, when I did my studies at the end of the 80s, so uh, I'd say, I always say it was already in the last uh, century or even in the last millennium. Uh, my interest was in the direction of computer technology. But when I went out and looking for a topic uh, for my student research project, I found the topics around pure computer technology rather boring. Developing printer drivers or protocol converters, etc. This was not what I wanted to do. Finally, I found, uh, let's say, uh, a work uh, on the uh, electrical uh, energy department, and I programmed an algorithm for the detection of short circuits on high voltage line on a computer cluster consisting of three overclocked Motorola 68,000 processors. At this time, this was a really cool system, and uh, it was I guess it's in the so electrical learned. engineering. <laughs> so that's why I'm uh, more or less uh, in the grid digitalization. I never recorded this because I would say in the grid automation, you are combining all the outstanding te technologies from different uh, disciplines. And, and maybe uh, to add, uh why I'm working for Siemens, I'm still working for Siemens in smart infrastructure, 
It's because we are right with our portfolio, are right in the sweet spot, in the sweet spot of what needs uh, to change now with our portfolio. Mm. So uh, with the control technologies for grids, buildings, we talk about AI applications here uh, with our hardware like switch gears, our building technologies. So uh, with our portfolio, we can make a difference. Therefore, smart infrastructure is the place to be. Yeah, a sweet spot is maybe the name, right? So the uh, the aspect that their speed spot it is and is pretty hot discussed also, right? There's a pressing topic, right, about about energy crisis, skyrocketing gases, electricity prices, right? We are recording here now uh, in the middle of summer, um, right? Um, so what can be done, right? What can we do now? And and maybe is there some kind of aspects from a technology such as machine learning, such as AI? That you know, um, that maybe support or help or can facilitate those kinds, and how do we expect the market to respond to that? Yeah, I think the market has already responded. So the skyrocketing okay. prices we see currently for electricity or mainly gas, that's a typically market response when there is a shortage of a resource. Mm -hmm. So the question is how we can we assure that uh, the limited resources can shared in a manner that the maximum possible coverage of need is achieved. That's a challenge we have to solve. And uh, here, of course, we can use uh, digital twins uh, to simulate uh, the energy system. We can use uh, AI for optimizing the energy system. Well, that's more or less uh, the tools we have to solve uh, and overcome the crisis. Uh, but uh, it's clear the solution must somehow work automatically behind the curtain. Uh, it's, we cannot expect that uh, the people are looking on the energy prices and then adapt their behavior, more or less uh, postponing, starting the washing machine or whatever. So you can see it currently at the fuel stations. When you look on the prices over the day, they are varying about 15 to 20 cents. But most of the people are driving to the gas station when the fuel goes low and not when they expect the price is low. Yeah, and other aspect, I think uh, what we now also see as, let's say, um, a reaction from the customer side, uh, we have currently a run of radiators and fan heaters in the hardware stores, which is untypical if you have uh, 30 degrees outside that you're buying a heater. And uh, this is something, well, I think we have also to educate the people and explain this is not a good idea because, uh, uh, first of all, the energy bill will become extremely hot if you are heating of, uh, your home with such devices. And on the other hand, if everybody is doing so, we have the risk of blackout because the distribution grid is not designed for this additional loading. And uh, so I think uh, that's maybe also something we have to do. We have uh, to explain uh, the, let's say the restriction of the energy uh, system. So I think you can go to the shop and buy a lot of toilet paper and save it. That's fine. Uh, and that does not harm. Uh, but if you are using electrical heating now to replace your oil or gas heating system, that's might be not so good. Yeah, and maybe maybe uh, to add on what Rolf said, uh, I would like to look at the positive aspects of this crisis. Uh, so there's the saying, never miss a good crisis. So what do I mean with it? I, I mean that we will see a strong and are seeing a strong push in renewables. Uh, that They'll be even ramped up faster. Probably value chains uh, for renewables, which went away from Europe, will be set up here again, because otherwise mm -hmm. we will just not be able to produce all the hardware here needed. Uh, and uh, we'll see a lot of uh, 
control technology is being pushed forward, and later on we talk about some of them, uh, to integrate all these renewables. Uh, and it's also about energy efficiency in the end consumption. So uh, you will see a lot of, a lot of innovation and, uh, and acceleration of innovation speed uh, coming from this crisis. That's, that's for sure. And you just um, touched upon the aspect of renewables and renewable energy, which is like cru crucial and will be crucial to cover our um, um, energy demand. But one major challenge with renewable energy is also um, the fluctuating availability and the difficulty of storing the electricity. Would it be possible to make electricity demand in, in industrial production more flexible to compensate for the fluctuations in renewable energy generation? Uh, this is already happening. Uh, so I recall when in the 80s, back then in the last century, when I first worked for industry, it was car industry, uh, they were already monitoring uh, the power consumption of that plant. It was, I think, 30 megawatt. And uh, they were monitoring it because if they exceeded it by a certain threshold, uh, they would have to pay a significantly higher bill. So uh, there were, since many, many decades, uh, this is already in the scope. But now, of course, uh, with a different aspect of providing the overall energy system with flexibility, as you just pointed out. So uh, industrial processes are being studied, uh, how they can be brought better into the variable um generation of renewables and uh, also uh, we have many customers that are exploring what kind of distributed generation uh, including combined heat power generation and renewables like rooftop photovoltaics can be integrated uh, into their plants uh, and uh, we have dedicated consulting departments which are helping our customers not only study it, studying the potential Uh, but also uh, then uh, how to realize it uh, with, uh, with products, uh, with control technologies. And the same, uh, what I said for industry calls, of course, is of course true for buildings and, and campuses. So uh, what has started uh, years back uh, is now even more important. Uh, of course, maybe one other aspect, you have to look at what is the industrial process. Can you sort of delay it? Uh, can you change it? Uh, some chemical processes or many are not possible to change. They have to run 24-7. But others are, like like ovens, for example, which are only uh, powered up uh, a couple of hours during the day. That that They, they can be uh, pushed uh, into later hours. Uh, so uh, this is being uh, in full scope. Of yeah, any 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 company, any industry uh, I know. And again, coming back to your previous question, this is the kind of swarm intelligence that's uh, at work at the moment. And uh, this is uh, where I said uh, we will see a lot of uh, of yeah innovation push from the crisis. Mm. Yeah, and even before the crisis, so in uh, Germany we had uh, some uh, government-funded projects, and the colleagues. Uh, in uh, Berlin, they uh, analyzed all the factories uh, at our Berlin location and identified flexibility. It was called the so-called Windnote project. And if mm -hmm. someone is interested, there is a very interesting uh, demonstration room in our uh, main building in uh, Berlin, where you can have a look on this uh, and what can be achieved by, uh, let's say, implementing the technologies Michael has explained. So, um, speaking of industrial production and a bit of the relation to energy um, and especially grids, in, in, in the production manufacturing area, uh, we see a, a large trend towards being, you know, 
let's say, mobile interfaces interacting with technology, but a, a humongous train about autonomy. So autonomy and autonomy in production. And I guess talking now about a grid level, right, we, there's, there's the notion of autonomous energy grid, right? I guess because of, I don't know, complexity or, you know, can you explain us a bit, on, especially also for the audience out there, right? What is an autonomous energy grid? Why, why do we need it anyway? Yeah, I think uh, as the grid becomes more and more complex, uh, especially when it goes to the integration of the distributed uh, energy resources, uh, let's say uh, the operators in uh, the control centers, they cannot manage any longer. They need, let's say, more autonomic functionalities. And uh, But it's not, let's say, a 100% solution, uh, so like uh, switching on the autopilot, it's a successive solution. So like cars, power grids are involving to increase uh, the autonomy uh, to several uh, degrees of autonomy. So 100% autonomy grids, I did not see up to now especially maybe for very small microgrids or so. But uh, many functionalities are now can operate in the closed loop uh, mode. For example, the localization of a fold, uh, the determination and execution of uh, remedial actions. This is something we can now do fully automatically. And um, in principle, if the people are trusting the technology, we could really uh, run it as an autonomous functionality. Typically, the system is preparing a proposal. The human operator is looking on it, says, okay, fine, and then it's executed. That's the way how it's implemented. But in principle, it could run 100% automatically. So Similar approaches we have in the area of energy trading. When you think about peer-to-peer -peer, mm -hmm. uh, trading, uh, it must run automatically. You cannot uh, do it ma manually that you are buying the energy if you want uh, to run the washing machine or if you want to cook uh, a coffee or something like this. This must go automatically. So I think it's similar to an airplane. More and more tasks will taken over by an autopilot, but there will be still an operator in the control room which has to take over the control when there is something unexpected and extraordinary. Uh, actually, Rolf, I recall a, a customer workshop we had a couple of years ago where we sat down, we were the CEOs and CEOs of, of big uh, grid utilities, and uh, we actually discussed the same question, and there was a consensus in the room, yes, technology-wise, we could do it, but uh, there is this uh, question of who takes responsibility if something goes wrong. Mm. Uh, so the legal aspect should not be uh, underestimated, and of course there are also ethical aspects in there. So uh, it became more like a philosophical legal discussion <laughs> among engineers. <laughs> Interesting. So uh, uh, a, lo a, lo a lot is uh, possible, uh, also an application of AI, but it's always the question uh, whether we are allowed to apply it, whether we want to apply it. Mm -hmm. All right. So that means, yeah, we were shifting already to a bit of the topic of, you know, the role of machine learning or data-driven solutions or the role of AI in control technology, right? And we see and we, we have many plethora of examples, right, that, that AI is impacting all business units, all, all processes, all products, right? And so also in the small infrastructure space. 
I guess since you are in the, in the, in the very leap on innovation, right? You see a lot of projects in, you know, very early, maybe sometimes, you know, um, experiments and explorations um, with regards to the AI. Are there any use cases, projects you would think like, that's pretty dope, that's pretty interesting. Oh, that was maybe a downer, but also very exciting to see how the future can be realized. Uh, yeah, maybe a, a couple of examples here. Uh, one is uh, together with our customer, Stromnetze Hamburg, running the electricity grid in Hamburg. Uh, they are applying neural networks and substations to coordinate charging infrastructure of e-cars. Mm -hmm. E-cars being good because it's more sustainable than fossil-based cars. So this is one example, machine learning to run uh, these variable loads uh, downstream on the grid. Uh, then another example is the application of AI in identification of faults in the grid. Mm -hmm. See, faults is something that you really don't want to have in the grid. And when they occur, you want to isolate them and clear them as fast as possible. And, uh, of course, coming into uh, our infrastructure, into our buildings, it's the control of, of room temperature, automatic uh, AI-supported control of room temperature in buildings. And uh, because it is so important, uh, we have a company called Technology program on uh, data analytics and AI. So I oh, know uh, that, that for yeah. a bit of work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, maybe also, uh, so it's one of the focus areas also that we have in our department, uh, Wolf and I have. Ralph, I have another question for you. Um, so we came across that high-level expert groups on AI and the IEEE, which is the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers. So the world's largest association of engineers in the field of electrical engineering and computer science. So those experts have recently formulated ethical principles and moral values that should be adhered to in the design and deployment of AI. And these include um, something like respect for autonomy, uh, non-male efficiency, fairness, transparency, explainability, and accountability. And what is your view on this development of value systems for machines? Do you think they could allow good learning experiences to be distinguished from somehow bad ones? That's a tough one, Ralph. Oh, yeah, uh, very interesting <laughs> question. Uh, so I think it's uh, it's not a question if they can it, so we have to do it. We have uh, to uh, implement uh, such kind of um, distinguishing between good practice and bad practice if we want to allow machines to continue learning while they are in use. So as long uh, if you are switch offing the learning when it uh, left uh, the factory, it's it's okay. But if you want to leave uh, to learn them on lifetime then we have to give them this ability uh, to distinguish between good and bad. And uh, I had many this discussions about this with experts, and there was uh, one proposal uh, from an expert saying, why not uh, machines who are interacting with uh, people that they can count the smiles and more or less use the number of smiles they earn uh, as a ratio about, uh, let's say, if they are working good or bad. And it sounds in the first moment, it sounds like a good idea, but let's imagine the following situation. There's a robot nurse pushing a disabled people in a wheelchair. And unfortunately, uh, this robot nurse oversees a pothole in the way and uh, then uh, see a person gets really shaked in the wheelchair uh, when it uh, passes over. 
and there is a small uh, as a group of young people standing nearby and they cannot avoid to smile about this and that's the question now what has the machine learned here and i think this is really a challenging one though i think we have to think about it and uh, find ways so maybe uh, smiling is a first step but then we have to distinguish who is smiling to get the right smiles uh, mm -hmm. and not the wrong ones and so i think there is many things to do uh, there and uh, but i hope it will be solved when i'm in the age that i need such kind of elderly care and where do you see the the greatest challenge to define what is good or bad in that sense or how the, the machine could detect what is good or bad yeah, in principle, the machine uh, should serve uh, the humans. So you need a feedback from the humans, which mm -hmm. could be a smile. But uh, then you have really to find out, uh, let's say, which is the human, which is the yeah. right, gives you the right uh, feedback there. And uh, of course, if you think about a similar simulation with a wheelchair, and uh, more or less uh, the nurse gives uh, way to a small group of uh, pupils or whatever so that they can uh, get the bus because they're in a hurry and they get the smiles from there then of course these are positive smiles <laughs> mm -hmm. so i think we really have to think about uh, real life situations and uh, found out okay where we would expect it so for us humans it's easy to uh, see if someone is pleased by our doing for a machine mm -hmm. i think this is really the biggest challenge but though we have a bit of the the aspects of the ai act you know coming along with classifying right into risk application where infrastructure is one of these right aspects so it's not only the interface of of you know where human and technology interfaces but also certain kinds of you know ai applications are considered as risk because they are infrastructure based which is our nature right so uh, do you have any thoughts on 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 this? Do uh, you know on the AI Act itself? Yeah, when it comes to infrastructure, I think if we are in the technical systems, then defining the KPIs for the technical system, if it's operates good or bad, this is mm -hmm. something. It's much easier than let's say find a KPI if you are pleased a person or not. And I think, uh, so I would say, in the uh, application of AI in the technical area to mm -hmm. optimize, let's say, uh, the usage of energy in the power plant or, let's say, uh, to optimize uh, the usage of the energy stored in the battery in a car and so on. That's something where you can say, in principle, let's come to the car. If you have derived more kilometers per uh, kilowatt hours and you have more or less uh, found uh, some better solution as but uh, if it comes to the interaction with the uh, humans i have a little bit more doubts as uh, we will uh, find it soon so i think there's a little bit uh, way to walk i think uh, uh, a very good exercise for our listeners is the moral machine the mit moral machine on the internet uh, where you are actually an ai and you have to make a decision a car approaches pedestrians cannot brake fast enough so what to do uh, should the car uh, sacrifice the people in the car or should it run over the pedestrians? So uh, here you come into, uh, yeah, into moral questions, which are also for, for us humans difficult uh, to answer. 
Yeah, and pretty pretty tough to elaborate. Even though we hope that we're not bound to, you know, I think it frames a discussion about you know the role of autonomy and semi-automated systems. Um, but it's always still on a legal bound, pretty clear that you know, or that that you know, you shall not, you know, you know, human is human. There is no differentiation between human, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. whether it's given age or not. Um, yeah, that's right. But on the other hand, when you look on, let's say, the discussion we had uh, recently with Corona and the triage, so yeah, <laughs> in some situation, it might be the need uh, to distinguish between human and human. And uh, hopefully, we have not to implement such functionality in, in our machines. In the introduction, we mentioned the phrase creating environments that are caring. Um, so maybe, Michael, can you tell us a little bit about what is behind that? So what do you actually mean by that? Uh, as, I, as I mentioned before, with our portfolio, we are in the sweet spot of what's being needed uh, to turn our infrastructures uh, more sustainable, to have more renewable usage, to run it more efficiently end-to-end. Uh, And so uh, to care for me is a lot about caring for people and caring for our society and, and uh, yeah, leaving a, a better planet uh, for our children. So yeah, it sounds a little bit uh, maybe <laughs> no pathetical, but uh, it's, it's uh, also one of the core reasons uh, why, why I am with Siemens after those 30 years and I look forward to being another 30 years with Siemens because uh, we, we really have a lot to offer uh, for society. We apply it also ourselves uh, and we have a lot of uh, yeah, swarm intelligence in our company and connected to the outside world. So I think we can make a lot, a lot happen. So uh, the caring uh, in a way has just started. So let's let's talk about technology again. So what role does CyberSec, right? CyberSec is, seems to be dominated as the world is more connected, as the world is more digitized, as the world, you know, opens up these new, let's say, entry gates to approach, to leverage the value. We somehow also approach, you know, uh, and give entry gates to certain kind of, you know, infrastructures that we may don't want to have, right? So what's... What is what is the role of cybersecurity in, in, in your case? Um, how, how is that recharging a bit of a different perspective and relationship to trust with your clients when working in such a critical data and, and environment? It's maybe not only the legal aspects in there, right? Which now needs to be recharged, isn't it? I think um, cybersecurity... Uh plays an important role for sure. Maybe it's even now the most important role. So what we can see typically uh, cybersecurity incidents today have the same uh, top management attendance uh, uh, like uh, personal injury accidents. So it's really uh, it's on a high level. Um, but when you talk about trust, uh, then I think this is something which is mutual. It's not that uh, it's only important that uh, our customer trust us, so we must also trust our customers because we are connecting their systems to other ours, and uh, therefore this is a mutual uh, topic. And 
only in this way we can more or less uh, manage this increasingly um, networking of our customers and also suppliers IT systems so it's more or less you just a part of the chain and uh, I think one of the important things uh, to support this is uh, the Charter of Trust which was founded by Siemens Michael help me I think it was uh, somewhere in 2019 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think this is an organization, when you look on this internet page, it gives itself the goal to make the digital world of tomorrow secure. And I think that's what we have to do. And it's not a single one who can do this, so we can only do it uh, jointly together. Mm. There will be a huge challenge for sure, especially since the hackers are also becoming better and better. Right. And like everything is becoming more and more interconnected. So the risk is actually increasing. But at the same time, we're also innovating more and more and coming up with more, um, yes, secure um, ways and methods. Um, but what is actually the secret recipe for innovation? Um, so how do you, you make sure um, that your departments really innovate and is there a certain culture that you're fostering or certain people you surround yourself with? Or Michael, you also mentioned never miss a good crisis. So is it maybe also that? <laughs> I, I never miss good colleagues. Uh, so um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about people and uh, having those uh, people, those persons, uh, work together, collaborate, realize their dreams, share their dreams. So uh, therefore, I try to foster this, this openness, this collaborative sharing uh, community. And uh, I also try to, to bring in myself as authentic, as open, as supportive as possible. Well, this is my perspective. You would have to ask Rolf <laughs> if I really do it. But this is my aspiration, uh, I would say. And uh, I, I, I'm very, very proud of my, my team. I, I know them all uh, very well. They are, they are excellent uh, experts. And so it's, for me, it's, it's always fascinating uh, to, to discuss with the team. Uh, therefore, I also ask a, a lot of questions. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, so uh, bottom line, it's, it's about create, creating that, that openness, that culture of collaboration. And Ralph, was it, what, what are the key drivers for you um, to drive and push for innovation or even encourage that? Yeah, drivers, I think maybe it's more, uh, I would call it as a capability. So uh, mm -hmm. if you want uh, to make innovations, you have to be uh, curious and, as Michael says, open uh, to look, uh, let's say, beyond your own silo. That's, uh, for example, when I'm looking back in my own career, I started as an, um, let's say, a programmer and uh, for applications uh, doing uh, network calculations uh, to determine the status of the network. And uh, then I come more or less into the business of uh, the control system. So I learned about uh, the SCADA systems, the system control and acquisition systems um, and grid control. And at a certain point of time, then um, there was the starting hype of smart grid. And there was then a small uh, team in uh, Siemens called Business Incubator for Smart Grid. 
and I volunteered to join it because I think it was very uh, interesting. And uh, within this uh, job, I got the task to invite, let's say, from all uh, business units in Siemens, and it was much more at this time, um, those one who could contribute uh, for a concept uh, for the city of Masta, to make, uh, let's say, a concept for, uh, let's say, the first sustainable cities uh, ever. And it was really fun. We had uh, working workshops at the airport Nuremberg, so everybody fly in, we make the workshops. And finally, we made a very good uh, presentation to uh, the customer, or let's say uh, to the uh, sheikh of uh, Abu Dhabi. Unfortunately, he had already ordered, uh, let's say, some uh, developers. And developers are hate innovations because they want to make their business. They have a very small budget. And that's what I learned at this time. So if you want to make innovation, you have to find the right people who are supporting you. And don't go, let's say, to people who want to make more or less just their business and uh, avoid any, let's say, any surprises and any risk. Yeah. This brings me to another important aspect. And, and uh, what, what we are doing is we are, we are running innovation contests or challenges where we invite our global community and we sometimes do it also with our partners outside Siemens uh, to, to work on one idea and, uh, and to interact and uh, together innovate. So these, uh, we do this with the Siemens innovation ecosystem and uh, our contests are called, for example, Hello Future uh, or Idea Booster. And for the contest of Hello Future, for example, we use the picture of a kid, of a, of a, of a young kid, uh, because they are very open still and they are curious, they discover the world. And uh, I think uh, we as, as, let's say, very senior engineers, uh, we should always pull our back, our, our back, make us significantly less important and listen, listen to those creative young minds. And we try to unleash that global creativity through those contests. We also... Uh, foster a key expert network and Uli, you also do this. Mm. We do it together. So we have uh, like in smart infrastructure, we have uh, more than 300 uh, key experts around the world. And for example, Wolf is one. Uh, I'm also one. So uh, and, and here we run a key expert community. Uh, we have dedicated uh, working groups in that key expert community. We will have a key expert community summit uh, coming up in October, where many of those will, will, will join at one place, face to face. So uh, these are uh, just just some examples uh, innovating in communities. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, that's the the, the network of expertise and interesting character stories and experience coming joined together with the new ideas from aspiring yeah. is is amazing, captivating for the, in this organization. And actually, it's also captivating somehow. You know the the leaderships right you all yeah. you all somehow leaders and i think all this uncertainty brings brings a lot thing in you know how to to lead through this wave actually you know and a lot of uh, i guess listeners out there right uh, you know which may spawn like i want to become maybe a future leader or make an impact and drive for an impact right would would maybe question is what what is in your eyes a good leader you know in current times yeah, so maybe I start. Um, uh, for me, uh, the team the team is all. The, so it's about, uh, as a leader, caring about your team, 
motivating your team, providing them with resources, mm. give directions, uh, maybe uh, elaborate those directions with the team. Always think from the customer point of view because we want mm. to care. That's our aspiration, mm. caring about infrastructure. So what, what are those innovations that really improve our infrastructures? And that you cannot do alone. You need the team. So as a as a leader, uh, you are, you may you, you're probably the, the 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 servant of your team. Uh, so you you win with your team, and when you fail, you fail together, and you learn together out of those failures. And I think this is a change of the leadership role. When I started <laughs> many decades back uh, in industry, it was it was the other way around. It was a, a very hierarchical. Mm -hmm. uh, very much such that uh, the boss said what what to do. Now it's it's the collaboration that counts. And uh, of course, uh, it, you, you have to be clear what are your targets. So it's not about everybody does whatever she or he likes. Uh, therefore, the team always have to, has to collaborate, has to align. Uh, and therefore, this communication and the soft skills provided for communication, necessary for communication, are so important. Yeah, I think uh, Michael mentioned <laughs> nearly all of the soft skills uh, you need for leadership. Maybe uh, one more. I think if you have a team of experts, then each expert is a little bit in his silo and uh, he is very good, but uh, maybe he cannot easily understand what the other expert is doing. And that's where, let's say, uh, the leader can make the bridge and explain it. So we had just in the morning, we had a meeting uh, together with experts from uh, building uh, technology and coming from the grid. And uh, I showed them a picture where I showed the complete SI portfolio in an architectural way that they could understand how it interacts, especially where you have the interfaces between the building and the grid and so on. And I think this is uh, one of the capabilities you might already have that you can on a high level explain how all the bits and pieces are worked together. And this enables then uh, that the experts understand, okay, this is the interface I have with my colleague. And uh, then you can start more or less uh, to moderate uh, the discussions. And at a certain point, they can talk together. And then you have really a winning team. So that's what that is uh, starting uh, to get people talking together, even there from dis different disciplines. I think this is a challenge. And if you can do it good, then you are have a very innovative team. Yeah, communication is really key and uh, that's a very beautiful way to put it, to really make the people interact with each other and share what's on their mind, especially if you have a lot of experts and then sometimes there can be even something greater if they really engage with each other. We are already um, at the almost at the end of this episode, so time was really flying with you. And uh, since you already started to share so much about like what really drives innovation and what makes good leadership, uh, maybe here's the last thing that also goes into that direction of uh, maybe sharing um, advice to, um, to maybe our young listeners or um, those in the audience that would really like to um, make a change. Uh, who are like crazy about ideas and want to, um, yeah, make a difference out there. Um, do you have any advice for them? So how to be um, that purpose-driven pioneer um, that starts initiatives and really pushes boundaries um, in a sometimes rigid um, Siemens environment? Like, are there any um, advice that you could give them? 
Yeah, yeah, some of those you mentioned already. Um, so you have to, of course, you have to burn for your idea or your ideas. You have to be passionate about them. You should never get up, give up. So uh, all, all the innovators, they went, as you say, the extra mile. And, uh, but it's, it's also a lot of hard work. It's not that you can delegate uh, innovations or so to happen. You have to involve yourself. And uh, what I experienced uh, in, in, in many, many teams uh, that I've watched or also uh, myself, um, these people, they, they tend to, 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 to meet each other. So those innovators, they tend to, maybe like magnets, they, they, they come to each other um, kind of automatically and then together they, they realize it. Uh, so that's the good, good news. Uh, fight for it. Fight for your idea. Be passionate about it. Make it public, the idea. If you don't come through, call Lee and we figure out how to do it. And, and then you will figure out or you will find out over time uh, that it works. But it's hard work. It's hard work. Passion and hard work. <laughs> maybe, maybe a good description. <laughs> Isn't it only hard? Yeah. Maybe one more advice from my side. Do not overvalue the advices from the old. So my generation is very good in explaining why things can't work. And I would say ignore that knowledge and try to do things. I love that. So you're a remote expert, so so uh, don't don't uh, uh, underestimate yourself. So your advice is is globally uh, uh, looked for. <laughs> yeah, but is, in the right sense. So yeah, but uh, I think you're absolutely right. I didn't uh, undervalue myself. So I think, but there's still the saying, innovation is 10% inspiration and 90% yeah. transpiration. So you need a solid foundation of knowledge and uh, you must uh, carefully verify and test your ideas. And that's where the old people come in. But uh, sometimes we have a very good uh, nose to find where, or as puts a trigger and to find uh, the error. That's very often when I realized when I was young people together and I said, try this and test out and then the system crashes or whatever. So it's somehow uh, this experience is very valuable, but uh, ignore the experience like this can't work. Build, measure, learn uh, in the lean, lean way. So test yeah. hypotheses and maybe discard them, but improve all the way. Um, um, very beautiful and very unique. And uh, challenge the status quo always. Challenge the status quo. Otherwise, we don't get energy in the system of an organization, isn't it? And it's, it's important. Uh, we don't want to find out why things don't work. We want to find out how they work. So always sure. look at the positive. Exactly. And we will continue positively, even yes. though we're at the very end of the session. Um, but there's um, a little... Uh, last thing we would like to play with you it's called authentic autocomplete um, and Michael you also mentioned how important authenticity is so now we will test that so um, I would like to give you for the closing a couple of sentence starters and then I would like to uh, I would ask you to complete them and um, are you ready for the final challenge of this afternoon Just a question. Uh, I know this from the television. It's a game between uh, couples. And if they both answer the same, they get a point. And if they ask differently, <laughs> yeah. uh, so we played oh, it the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so um, yeah, maybe one of you starts and then the other one can okay. uh, just add their, their perspective. So uh, first one is pretty easy. So Siemens is? The sum of its people. And a lot of fun to work for. Nice. Beautiful. It's like autocomplete, autocomplete. I like that a lot. The energy <laughs> systems of the future are? CO2 neutral, uh, neutral resilient, efficient, but most properly not more, or more costly and a lot about electrons and green hydrogen uh, of course we are now opening up a completely new story and maybe we need another podcast for that one but electrons oh, nice. <laughs> love podcasts send out the invite right away <laughs> <laughs> technology with purpose is about providing a better future and earning money oh here we go Nice. Artificial intelligence is? One of our company core technology programs. That's very and systematic. Call it a moving target. So the definition of AI is increasing all the time. So what's in the past called uh, AI is now just automation. And maybe what today's AI, we will see what's in the future. Oh, awesome. Innovation is? Our daily business. And passion. Amazing. And last but not least. Difficult um, one. Yeah, it's a tough one. If I could invent a rule for everyone in the world to follow, it would be? Care about each other. People are the same wherever you go. But I must admit that's not from me. That's from a song Ebony and Ivory from uh, Paul McCartney and uh, Stevie Wonder. I think it was around uh, 82. So, I enjoy this song always when I hear it on the radio. And yeah, then we are back on the first question. <laughs> ah, here we exactly. go. Thanks so much, Michael and Rolf, for being that open, that passionate. And, you know, it's, it's, it's exactly colleagues like you that makes this, uh, you know, organization and company super awesome and enjoyable and turns somehow sometimes, you know, skeptical things into still a very, very enjoyable ride. So thanks so much for spending this time with us. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, it was a pleasure to us. And folks out there, stay, um, you know, you heard it, get connected to maybe, you know, tune in on LinkedIn to, to connect with Michael and Rolf directly or tune on their, you know, hackathons, which they sometimes participate or idea challenge that, that they may pill through, you know, universities or other ecosystem players and obviously comment, like, you know, share your comments, what we can improve uh, to stay um, obviously uh, tuned by and stay bold, committed and open-minded. And we hear us at the next Siemens AI Lab podcast. Cheers. Mm -hmm.